2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to be talking about a simple but no-nonsense guide to the, to the term inspiration. It's a doctrine in the Bible about how we got our Bible. So the question is, how did we get our Bible? Amen? Uh, let's see. Before that, however, we're going to do our review from last week. Yeah, you know what? Let's pray. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer first, shall we? Let's pray. Father, good morning, Lord. Thank you for this time that we, might, we may be able to open your words and uh, listen to what you want us to learn for many days during the week. Um, we just hear ourselves, our flesh, or the world. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have, we have your words that we can open and learn from you and hear from you, as well as uh, not only open during the day, but also come together in fellowship on Sundays so we can learn from you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Um, may, may we ask, Father, that you would remove everything that's in our hearts and our minds that's going to hinder us from learning and hearing, and that everything that is said and done bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Last week, we talked about the difference in a between anger and wrath, right? Uh, question number one, is anger sin? No. It's not sin. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. And you can read about the, in the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ and that God has also, found, has also demonstrated anger. But then you can be angry, especially if you're angry at the right, about the right things, but also not commit sin. Amen? Second question, is wrath sin? No, because the, the Bible says, especially in the book of Revelation, there's the wrath of God, right? So if that's sin, that means God has committed sin, which that's far from the truth. Uh, so the question is, I know it's not there, but if anger and wrath is not sin, how come the Bible says, especially the Apostle Peter, he says to put it away from us? Well, that's because both anger and sin, or sorry, both anger and wrath are associated with blank. Starts with the letter F, and it burns fire. fire. Amen? That's why his anger was kindled, or his wrath was kindled. So anger is not sin. Wrath is not sin. However, it's dangerous because they're both associated with fire and fire consumes, fire destroys, fire burns. And sometimes even if you're angry about the right things, even if you have some righteous indignation and you don't leave it up to God, sometimes it burns. Amen. Sometimes it consumes us that we're not a blessing to anyone anymore. So be careful. Last but not the least over here, anger is the blank that you feel inside while wrath is the blank of it. Anger is the emotion that you feel inside, thank you, while wrath is the what? Manifestation of it, thank you. So you can't see anger. You can't see how people are feeling inside, but what they manifest outside because of that feeling is that wrath. Amen? So our, I think one of our, our, our illustration last week was that um, nobody, 
can see if you, if you have a headache or not. But they sure can see the bad attitude that comes out of it, right? <laughs> so, uh, just as an illustration, the headache would be like your anger. It's what you feel inside. But wrath, what you do because of that emotion inside, which is the manifestation of it, is wrath. All right? So praise God for that. I, I uh, had a fun time uh, and I learned from that. So I hope you did too. I hope that was a blessing to you. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 16. All right? This is our text for today. The Bible says, you ready? I shake my nerves here a little bit. <laughs> the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It did not say all scripture is inspired of God. Hold on, hold on. Are you, meaning, are you telling me, Brother Francis, that, you're, that, the, that scripture is not inspired? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just telling you what the text itself said. Right? You with me? We'll, we'll go back to that statement here later on. And is profitable for doctrine. The very first reason why we have Bible is what? Doctrine. Is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So because of that verse, we learn that if you do not have scripture, if you do not have, if you have, if you do not have scripture, if it's not given by inspiration of God, then it is not profitable for doctrine. It is not profitable for reproof. It is not profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's why there's a lot of churches. And that's why we also have to be careful that we don't become like any of these churches. That there's a lot of churches that they don't have doctrine. They don't care about doctrine anymore. Or they don't have reproof or correction. They just say, come as you are and just be here as you are. Well, let me tell you that. Let me stop and say this. Everyone is welcome here at First Baptist Church. Amen? Everyone is welcome but everyone is welcome in the sense that when you come, not just you, you and me, all of us, when we come, we come to be corrected by God's word, not by Brother Francis, correct? If we come without the desire to be corrected by God's word, then why else? It's like going to the hospital without the desire to be well at all. So, if we don't have scripture that is given by inspiration of God, why else would you care about doctrine? Why else would you care about reproof or correction? Why else would you des desire instruction in righteousness if you don't have a desire to live a righteous life at all? Right? So, I, I, that's just deduction from the verse that we read over here. Now, the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do what? Err. Root word of the term error. Mistakes. Ye do err 
not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. So with that, we also deduce, if we don't, have, if we don't want to have the scriptures in the church, then we're going to have a lot of mistakes. Then we're going to have a lot of error. If we don't want to have scriptures in our lives, then we're going to have a lot of mistakes. Then we're going to have a lot of error. Amen? Next. Mark chapter number 7, verse 13. It says over here, Making the word of God of none effect through your... What? Tradition. When ye have delivered, which ye have delivered, and many such things do ye. So... Praise God, I think I can say this with all confidence. Praise God, when you come to our church over here, you don't have to check, you don't have to unscrew your head and check it at the door, amen? <laughs> Praise God, everyone is okay. It's, it's not just okay, it's encouraged <laughs> for everyone to use their noggins, amen? Because if... We check our, our, our brain boxes in the door and all we want to do is receive and receive and receive without checking it with God's word. Then, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be crass, but even the dumpster cannot receive whatever is bigger than the dumpster. <laughs> even the toilet bowl gets clogged, Right? So, I said that to say all this. What's the point of church if there is no Bible? Amen? What's the point of Christian life if there is no Bible? What's the point of being a Christian if there is no Bible? You and me? I am silent. <laughs> Let's go forward. The term inspiration in the Bible, matter of fact, if you search in the Bible the term inspired or inspiration, the term inspired is not there. You can't find it at all. You will find the term inspiration in the Bible, but you won't find the term inspired. So, when we first God in, when we first encountered the term inspired, matter of fact, I'm probably just going to speak for myself here so, so we're all safe here. But tell me if this is your experience as well. When we first got saved, of course, then we learned about the Bible. And then the first, one of the questions that come into our mind is how did we get the Bible? And then we come in contact with this term, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we ask the preacher, or we ask it in our mind, what does the term inspiration means mean? Most of us, if not you, I'm sure I can speak for myself. We were given the definition, God breathed. Have you heard that term before, right? God breathed, meaning... We were given the Bible by the breath of God. Matter of fact, that came from the term... It's all Greek to me, yes, because that's Greek. Amen? Theopneustos. Okay? That's how it's, that how, that's how it's read. Theopneustos means God breathe. But the problem is, once we receive the term God breathe, without... 
running the Bible references. Are you saying that's wrong, Brother Francis? No, hold on. Just bear with me for a second. That's not what, I want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the danger there is that we ask the Bible, or we wanted to know what the word inspiration means, but instead of running the references to see what the Bible says about the word inspiration, we went to somebody who can speak Greek. What's the danger there? Their interpretation. It might be their interpretation. Eh? I'm not saying everyone that can, that can speak Greek is evil and wicked and going to hell. I'm just saying you're, you're safer. You're not, not just safer, you're safest if you see what God says about that term itself. Now, the problem is sometimes when they expound on that term God breathe, what they say is that literally in layman's terms, the term God breathe means these are the exact words that came out of God's mouth. Meaning these are the exact words that God breathed from God's mouth. You are, after all, we do, after all, breathe while we're talking, right? There is some, there is, there is air that comes out of our lungs and then through our voice box and then through our oral artifice, uh, through our, through our oral organs over here that, that, that come out while we're speaking something. And so they say, these are the exact words that come out of the word, the, the, of God's mouth. That actually is something that we want to talk about right now. Is that the case? I know that the cross-reference to this verse over here, to this explanation of them, is that when God created Adam, he breathed unto his lungs, right, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and then man became a living soul. And that's why they say, see, God breathed. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying, are you saying this is wrong, Brother Francis? I'm just saying be careful with what the interpretation is, right? Now, let's, let's, let's look at what, what the danger is if we just talked about it and we just took it with God breathe. That's the tradition that so many Christians has. It means God breathe, and then they explain it a different way. It's just the exact words that came out of God's, God's mouth. Here's the thing. If they are the exact words that came out of God's mouth, it would mean that only the original manuscripts are given by inspiration. Because according to them, God did not speak English during that time. He spoke in, in Old Testament, Hebrew, and in the New Testament, Greek. So he said, though, so, so uh, English is not given by inspiration. It's not inspired because... That's not what God spoke. That's not the exact word that came out of the, of the mouth of God. Number two, it would mean that only the original manuscripts are Scripture. And the English or all other translations only contain the thoughts of the Scripture. You would be? It would mean that only people who have access to the original manuscripts have access to Scripture. 
And finally, it would mean that only people who can read, speak, and understand original manus- the original manuscripts can understand and interpret Scripture while the rest of us are at their mercy. All of a sudden, there's a priesthood again because we have to go to them to ask them what the Hebrew and Greek means. God, when, when God, when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, that curtain in the temple ripped from top to bottom. And so did the priesthood of Israel. So we can come boldly into the, into the throne of grace. We don't need the priest to get to God anymore. We don't need the priest to let us know what God says anymore. Amen. So let's talk about that. I know that's probably something that's shocking to a lot of us, even to myself when I first studied about this, actually. So don't worry, it's not just you, it's also me as well, <laughs> all right? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how God felt about the original manuscripts. When I say the original manuscripts, the original very first writings that God provided to people. Before I read, read these verses, when I was, in Los, I was in Los Angeles one time in the museum over there, and the very, during that time, the exhibit that they have, I'm sure, I wish, you were, I wish you were all there, actually. Brother Bill, the exhibit that they had during that time was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and I was just looking and perusing and learning, and then everyone was like, ooh, ah. And very, you know, and rightfully so. I was about the same way too. But I heard some of them say, ooh, these are the original manuscripts. They're not. They're actually just copies. Right? And then another story is this. In my hometown in Lipa City in the Philippines, one day, somebody was walking down the street, looked up in a coconut tree and saw that the sunlight just hit that tree in a different way and saw the vision or the image of the Virgin Mary. And guess what? That coconut tree to this day is fenced off and people from all around the country would come and visit that coconut tree and worship it because it's a blessed tree. So what does God feel about the original manuscripts? If we had the original manuscripts right now, you know what? God knows that people would worship it rather than read it. Ooh, ah. Exodus chapter number 31, verse number 18, it says over here, And he gave unto Moses what he had made an end of, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony. Watch this. Oh, how awesome this is. Can you imagine? God himself wrote this original manuscript. Tables of stone written with the finger of God. So, the very first manuscript did not actually come out of the mouth of God. It came out of the finger of God. You with me? Now, 
Well, that's not what that means, Brother Francis. Let's, let's go forward a little quick, and then we'll, go, we'll, we'll touch on that. Exodus 32, verse 19. So Moses came down the Mount of Sinai, and then lo and behold, he saw Aaron, his brother, leading the nation of Israel into all kinds of sin and debauchery. And then what did he do? And it came to pass, verse number 19, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf, holy cow! And the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. The mount. What did he do? The very tablets, the very original that God made, Moses, pow, break out of his anger. There goes original number one. It's gone. Original number one was broken by Moses himself. Exodus chapter 34, verse 1, however, would say, well, the question is before, before that, when, when Moses broke his word, when, when Moses broke the original, God's word, did God say, oh man, Moses, come on. It was so hard for me to write that down. Now I'm not going to remember what I said. <laughs> did he say that? <laughs> no, look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two stables of stone, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. The words, the same exact one, God wrote again with his finger. Original number two. <laughs> By definition, an original can only be one. Or else, every, everything else is copies, right? So let's talk, let's talk about another original over here. The original Jeremiah Manuscripts. This is so interesting. Have, if, if you're in the book of Jeremiah in your Bible reading already, so a lot of exciting and also weird things in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 36, verse number 1 says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take, take thee a roll of a book. And write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee. Okay, well, there, there's something that the words that came out of God's word, of God's mouth himself. And he was writing, he was dictating them to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was writing it down. And against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke unto thee, from the, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. So Jeremiah wrote it down in a scroll. But look at chapter 36, verse 23. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with, his, with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was, an, that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God does not always give us stuff that we like to hear, right? It gives us stuff that we need to hear, even if it's painful. But Jehudai says, you know what? I don't like this part. I'm going to grab a pen knife, cut it, throw it in the fire. Cut this part and throw it in the fire. And the verse says, until the whole roll was gone. You with me? Verse number 28. Well, after that, God told Jeremiah, oh man, Jeremiah, it was so hard to dictate all of that to you. Now I have to remember it all again. Oh, man, it's lost forever. Is that what God says? God says, take 
the again, another role. Oh yeah? You think, King Jehudai, that you can get rid of God's word? No, sir. Take the again, another role, and write in it, how many? All the words that were in the first role. You think, he says, you think, King Judai, that you can get the word of God or you can eradicate the word of God? Nope. God can write it all again. That were in the first role, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. So he copied it again. And then verse, there, there goes original number two for Jeremiah. It was gone. It was burned into fire. But what's interesting in Jeremiah chapter number 51, he says, And it shall be when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her and they shall be weary. And God, so God says, after you read the book of Jeremiah, the second original that he wrote again, bind a stone upon it and throw it into the river Euphrates. And there goes original number two. <laughs> so the point is this. It's not really the original manuscripts that's important. It's the words that are written therein that's important. Amen? And so, I guess just, just kind of side preaching here. Where this is just all introduction. But let's go to a side preaching. It's not enough that we have that book. In the Philippines, where I grew up, people actually put this book on like a little pedestal on their wall, on a shrine, and light candles on it. It's not enough that we have it. It's the words that are important. Amen. So let's keep it simple then. Let's say, pow, in a snap of my fingers, we all went back to the first day that we were saved. And we didn't know anything much about the Bible. We didn't know, we didn't know much about um, inspiration. Let's say we did not hold on to the traditional teaching that inspiration means God breathed. Well, does. But, let's say it does not mean it's, there are only the words that, were, that came out of the mouth of God, is what I'm trying to say. What's the best way to figure out what inspiration means? Go to the Bible and run the references. So guess what? We're going to run the references, and for the next three hours, we're going to try to read all of them. But guess what? We don't need three hours, because it only came up in the Bible twice. <laughs> so it's not really hard to look for it. Only two instances where the word inspiration is found in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, we already read this earlier. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. By the way, the term by inspiration is a prepositional phrase because of the word by, and it's used to describe not the scripture. Prepositional phrases, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking Greek here, okay? How many of you love English class growing up? Nobody, not even me. Oh, okay, Miss, <laughs> Miss Ingrid. Prepositional phrases can be used as adjective or adverbs, right? Adjectives describe nouns like, Round or red ball. What kind of ball? Red. 
Adjectives, however, describe verbs or other adjectives. Uh, run fast. How fast did he run? Which is a verb. Run is an action verb. All right. How, how, how did he run? Fast. All right. So in this instant, by inspiration, is a prepositional phrase used as an adjective, which does not describe scripture. It does not describe a noun. It describes a verb. Is given. How was it given? By inspiration. <laughs> the cross-reference is found in Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty given, giveth them understanding. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Okay? So, simple and biblical definition of interpretation means God working with the spirit of man to give him understanding. God working with the spirit of man to give him understanding. <gasps> Time out. Are you trying to tell me, Brother Francis, that God did not breathe the Holy Spirit into his words? If I gave you something, if I gave you a container saying, well, I, I, I have two things over here. I'm giving it to you, but you have to choose one only. This container has gold inside of it. But this container is gold. Which one do you choose? The one that has gold or the one that is gold? The one that is gold. Because this one may only have some, a little bit of gold. But this one is in itself gold. Can I tell you something? The Bible, bear with me, this might sound heretic, heretical if I don't continue Speaking, if you shut me off during the middle here, okay? Bear with me. The Bible does not contain Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's so heretical. Hold on. The Bible is Spirit. I did not say that. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said that. How are God's words given to us? I'll show you. God's words are already settled in heaven forever. Amen? The Bible says in uh, uh, Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Before it was written down in the tables of stone, God already had it in heaven. Praise God. That's why he did not say, Oh no, Moses, now I don't know what to write in the next stone. It's already settled in heaven. How long? Forever. Matthew chapter number 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter number 21. If it's not important enough, well, God repeated it three times. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Praise God. But Brother Francis, is, can, Brother Francis can, hear, can be here and die, but the, Bible's, the Bible will 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 live on forever. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth, how long? Forever. Now here's the verse that I was telling you earlier. John 6, 63. The Bible does not only contain spirit, it is spirit. Says John 6, verse number 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, 
The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit. And therefore, they are life. This does not only contain spirit. This is spirit. That's why you cannot be spiritual without being biblical. Amen. Remember that? Remember that uh, question and answer portion we did a few months back, or a few weeks back? So number one, how did we receive God's words? Did He just breathe it to us or dictate it to us? Well, number one, God's word is already settled in heaven forever. Number two, then in the Old Testament, He spoke in sundry times and in diverse manners. What do you mean? Hebrews chapter number one, verse one. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, that's what a lot of people mean right now. You know, a lot of people in the political word, world use the term diversity. That's what it means over there, diverse. So different times and different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He did not just breathe them out. What did he do? Sometimes he did, yes. Sometimes he spake through dreams. Sometimes he spake through vision. Sometimes he, he even spake to Moses through a burning bush. Remember that? <laughs> Sometimes he spake through, the, uh, through angels. Sometimes he spake through prophets. And sometimes it's even the writing by his own fingers. That's why it says sundry times and various and diverse manners. But then, not only that, Hebrews 1, 2. Number three, then he spake by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 2 says, Had in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Well, we know his son is also 100% God, right? So yeah, I guess you can apply God breathe over there. So what I'm trying to say is the term God breathe is not wrong. It's just not the only way that we receive God's word, right? Had in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he had appointed heir of all things. And then what? After the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, who did he use to, to speak through us, to us? Then God used the apostles to speak to us. He, he has the 12 apostles, apostles to speak to the Jews, and then he had the apostle Paul to speak to the Gentiles. Look at this verse. This is, this is an interesting verse. Remember the story of the Mount of Configuration? Remember that? Peter was saying, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. Peter says we were there. We saw what happened. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory where there came such, when there came such a voice of him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. He says, we were there. I saw what happened. The Lord Jesus Christ shone. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah were with Him. And then a voice came from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We were the witnesses. But Peter says, but instead of believing us, there's a more sure word of prophecy that you can believe. Peter said, we're the witnesses, but this is more important for you to believe. 
you wrote it all down. Whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the, watch this, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So number one, God's word is already forever settled in heaven. Then God spake in diverse time, diverse time, or sorry, sundry times in diverse manners. Then the Lord Jesus Christ spake to us as well. And then also the apostles spake to us as well and wrote it down. The holy number number five, the Holy Spirit moved these holy men by giving them understanding that it is so important that they need to record it. Sometimes they spoke what Jesus told them. Sometimes they spoke in different tongues. Remember that? Sometimes they wrote or spake that vision or dream that they saw. Sometimes they wrote a revelation given to them. Sometimes they simply wrote down their account of what happened in the past. But 100% of the time, they have understanding from the Holy Spirit to write it down because they knew this was important. That's it, Brother Francis, but that's so simple. <laughs> that's how we got our Bible. That's so simple. That's about the same thing that I hear when I witness to somebody that all they have to do is trust that death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, that's it, Francis. That's so simple. Well, that's because God did all the hard work so we don't have to do anything anymore. Look at what what 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 4 to 5 says. We're, this is about the uh, last two verses here, and then we're done. The Bible says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. One day I was, in a, I was with a preacher in Bohol Island in the Philippines. And you know how sometimes when pe preachers get together, they kind of try to tend to impress each other <laughs> with like the Greek words and with the big theological words that they, that they know <laughs> or don't know. One of the preachers prayed, was asked to pray, and his prayer was so long and so deep and we just wanted to eat already. Come on, man. We just wanted to eat, just like probably some of us right now. <laughs> But his words were so huge and so big. And after that, uh, my preacher friends over there, one of my preacher friends, joked with him and said, Come on, man. Your prayer is so long and so deep. All we need to do is just ask, you know, thank God for the food. It, you know, it's like even God needs a dictionary just to understand your prayer. I know, he's just joking, you know. But what I'm trying to say is, that's why this book is written. Get into this book, amen. That's why we have a Bible reading program. You, so you don't have to depend on me alone. So you don't have, not just me, so you don't have to depend on anyone, praise God, except for the Holy Spirit of God. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Luke chapter number 8, verse 12. Last, we're done. You know, the devil does not need to eradicate, to eliminate all the Bibles in this world for you to not believe it. All he has to do, just like what he did with Eve in the garden, is cast doubt in your heart. Just like that. Those, by the way, Luke chapter number, remember, remember the parable of the sower? Luke chapter 8, verse 12. God says, those by the wayside are they that what? Hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out from the Bible. Nope, that's not what he, he did. He took the word out of where? Their hearts. All the devil has to do is say, that Bible that you're reading in your hand right now, that's not God's words. Only the originals are God's words. And then, poop, you're done. Why would I believe this? I should know what the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek or the Aramaic says. And then you're done. Takeaways. Lessons from this study. Number one. It is best to let the Bible define a Bible word rather than having man come up with a definition for it. Remember, that's in one of our rules. It is best, it is safest to let the Bible define a word rather than having man come up with a definition for it. Number two, it is always best to stick with what the Bible says rather than the traditions that we hold on to. Always best to stick with what the Bible says. But this is how I grew up! But this is what I believed. But this is this. Remember I told you my story? I was in a Baptist church. I was a song leader. I was a youth leader. I was preaching and I was leading songs. And then I wasn't saved. Better stick with what God says than what the traditions of men are. Next, the devil does not have to eliminate all the Bibles in the world for man to disbelieve it. He only needs to put one doubt in man's heart to take God's words away. That's what he did with Eve, and that's what he's doing right now. And last but not the least, we have access to God's words right now. You don't have to go to the museum, or you don't have to go to the river Euphrates to swim and look for a scroll that's bound with a stone to look for the original Jeremiah. We have access to God's words today. What are you going to do with it? Father, thank you, Lord, for your words. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us understand how important this book is. And when many people put it in a pedestal and light candles to it and pray to it, might as well, we might as well do the same thing because we think we say that it's important, but we don't read it. And so help us to see how important it is. And help us to, to, un, to, to be excited about it, Father. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Help us, Father, that our heart may stand in awe of thy word. Um, I pray, Father, that we were able to simplify this uh, doctrine um, that is understandable and a blessing to everyone. And that everyone would be excited and that they would take your words uh, seriously, including myself, Father, right now. In Jesus' name, I pray.